Good morning. Glad to see you all in here and online. Thanks for joining us out in the parking lot. Told, said hello to you already and acknowledged that's the last day of February. Tomorrow's March, which I was looking at the weather this week, and it looks like it's going to be in the 50s a lot of the day. So I think we're pushing through winter. Good job, all of you. Proud of you there. Um, if you're brand new with us or haven't been here in a while, I'm really, really glad you're here. Certainly hope you feel comfortable um, uh, and uh, safe and um, have any questions, feel free to let us know. There's a couple ways to do that. You can always text us, 610-869-2140. You can make a phone call to that number as well. Or you can always email us, email at c- or info at clcfamily.church. Have any questions specifically for me, Josh at clcfamily.church. Have any questions specifically about this sermon today? Want to uh, have some questions about it? We cover uh, a podcast during the week called Overtime where we kind of cover those things. You can email overtime at clcfamily.church or text the word overtime to 610-869-2140. Got it. Lots, lots of ways to connect. Would love to do that with you. The Bible is pretty clear. In the very beginning, God establishes human beings, right? Which is the best explanation to how we got here, by the way, that there is some kind of intelligent designer who designed this deal. And so it literally, the scripture tells us he spoke this into existence, which is just mind-blowing. And then he uh, started marveling at the creation he made. And every time he'd make something new, he'd go, it was good. And then he made humans, Adam. And um, for the first time in all of the scriptures, he makes a statement that goes, it's not good for man, for humankind to be alone. And that's where we uh, see God put Adam asleep, take out one of his ribs, make Eve. And then, then, then he marvels again at how beautiful his creation is. What we can take away from that is if God says in the scriptures that it's not good for man for human humanity to be alone we can just go we believe god's word and so if you're in that kind of stage of life where you feel like you're alone don't feel like you have much connection please 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 let us help you with that so would you just um have the the courage we'll talk a little bit about courage today to just self-identify and go hey i would love some community hey i really don't want to walk through this season alone tired of being in a place in my house by myself and it certainly be nice to connect with some other humans we We'd love, love, love to help facilitate that for you, okay? So, um, glad you're here, and we're in the, the last week, we're kind of going to land the plane of this series called Happy Strife, Happy Life, but that's a sub-series of a much bigger series we've been going through for the last seven months called the Gospel of Luke. So let me remind you, the Gospel of Luke was written by a real human in real human history, right? His name was Luke. That's why it's called the Gospel According to Luke. That means the good news according to a guy who kind of compiled all the good news, and so crazy is this guy Luke was a physician, a medical doctor, right? A scientist, a researcher, well-educated, who was hired by a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus would have been probably a leader in the Roman Empire. And this guy hires Luke to go and investigate whether or not this whole story of Christianity is true, right? To go, in fact, so uh, he hires Luke. Luke spends a couple years, if not a decade, going and interviewing all sorts of people, reading all the documents, going and listening to all the oral accounts and traditions. And Luke puts it all together, and he says that he writes this for Theophilus and us, that we may have certainty of the things that we've been taught. Specifically, certainty about the things that have been taught by this guy, Jesus. So Theophilus goes, hey, I know that Caesar's not Lord. And I'm trying to figure out how this whole world thing works. And it certainly seems like there is some real intrigue around Jesus as declaring he was God, God's Son, our Savior, and the Messiah. And lots of intrigue around 
Jesus declaring he was God, getting murdered for it, and then a lot of people are saying he actually came back to life. And he showed his scars from the, the death on the Roman cross. And that he, he made himself known to the, the first century followers. And then there's this huge movement going on. And so Theophilus is going, hey, I'd actually, I'd actually like to know more about that. So Luke puts together this orderly account. We've just kind of been, you know, charting through it week after week after week after week, verse by verse, just reading this guy's words, both to Theophilus, timely in that moment, and to us, timeless, meaning this, these words that he wrote, we'd say are completely inspired and written through Luke's hands, but by the Holy Spirit, God himself. And as he wrote those, he knew, or at least the Holy Spirit knew, that we would, February 28, 2021, crack open our scriptures and open them up to this passage and learn more about who God is and therefore who we are. And maybe that sounds really, really crazy to you. But what if that's true? What if God actually knew from the beginning of time that this was our moment to open up the scriptures? I mean, the first time you've ever, ever kind of listened to the scriptures, right? right? And so what the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, this prophet, this guy who spoke on behalf of God, his name's Isaiah. And Isaiah, he tells us in Isaiah 55 that um, when God's word is, goes out, it never, ever returns void. And then they offer an analogy, like the precipitation, when it goes and it hits the land, it always yields a return. There's something supernatural that gets to happen today because we're going to open up the scriptures. And whether or not you have bought into this, believe this yet, the reality is there's something transformational and supernatural that's just about to happen as we read the scripture. So we're going to open up Luke chapter 7 and finish up Luke chapter 7 and start a little bit of Luke chapter 8 today. But let me just remind you of where we came from last week. We studied a, about a guy again named John the Baptist who was a prophet, kind of the last of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament, who came to declare that there was a Messiah who was coming. Right? And he said something like this. He said, he actually quoted Isaiah and said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Remove every mountaintop. Fill in every valley. Make every crooked path straight. So that all mankind can see and perhaps know God's salvation. So this guy, he was making these declarations. And these people started following and going, that's what we're looking for. We know it's not Caesar. We know it's not the Roman Empire. We know it's not our next job or our next spouse or our next kid or our next house. We know it's not those things. If you're telling me this is a possibility, and all these people started following John as he was following Jesus. And as all that's happening, uh, it kind of created two pieces of pretty messy turmoil. One, for the Jewish leaders of the day, these, these new uh, converts, or these people interested in following Jesus, were walking away from the synagogue. As they're walking away from their Jewish faith, they're taking their money with them. So there's some pressure there from the Jewish leaders. Now at the same time, um, the Roman Empire, kind of overseeing the whole area of, of Israel, they um, were concerned that if enough people got together with some kind of revolt, that it would create a huge mess, not just for the nation of Israel, but also for the whole Roman Empire, like a Trojan horse in the middle of it. So John the Baptist isn't liked by Jewish leaders or Roman leaders, to the point where he gets arrested and he's thrown into prison. And you can imagine, while he's in prison, he's been saying that Jesus has come to bring salvation. And he's like, well, I thought Jesus came to bring salvation, but the only thing that's gotten me is in a, thrown into a dungeon. So he's in a dungeon. He sends a couple of his followers. There's people coming to see him while he's in prison to feed him. And he, they're telling the stories of all the craziness that Jesus has been doing, bringing dead people back to life, blind people to see, lame people walk, right? And deaf people can hear. And so John the Baptist is hearing all this, and he sends his followers and goes, hey, will you just ask Jesus a question for me? And here's the question he asked. 
Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we look somewhere else? Which is so interesting, because honestly, I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm a professional Christian. You know, I I get paid to be a Christian in some way. So broken and so messy. Somehow me being a Christian also pays my mortgage and all sorts of complications, right? But in that, this is still the question monthly. If not weekly, I ask, God, I certainly hope all this is true. Now, I believe it's all true. I'm certain it's all true, but there are moments you go, God, if this isn't true, we're all in really big trouble. So Jesus has declared in Luke chapter 7 that this is the greatest person ever lived. And he, he, he started to wonder, are you the one or should we look somewhere else? So what does he ask him when he's going, are you the one? What is he actually looking for? Really, really important. What John came to kind of acknowledge was that Jesus came to establish a new way of living. In fact, a new kingdom. The thing that Jesus preaches the most about in his three years as a preacher before he gets, you know, arrested and brutally murdered and put in a tomb and then comes back to life was not about salvation, actually. The thing he preached the most about was something called the kingdom of heaven. So he was saying, there is a new king and there is a new kingdom and it doesn't start away in some far, far future. It can be established now and guess what? Jesus is Lord and king of that kingdom. So John the Baptist is going, there is a king and a kingdom and we should follow it. In other words, he's going, hey, this old kingdom that we live in, we call it the kingdom of earth. Here, right? It's it's time to no longer live here. It's time to go there into the kingdom of heaven. And everybody's wondering, is there really a new kingdom? Is there really a new way to live? You really, I mean, I understand there's some things I'm longing for that have never been fulfilled, but is, is that the kingdom of heaven? What happened there? I, is that how we get access into eternity? Like all those things? Like, are you telling me there's actually a person and John the Baptist is saying, yes, there is. And then he's going, I think there is. So John the Baptist is right here in the middle of the mess and he's going, hey, I've heard about your kingdom. I've been preaching about your kingdom. Are you the one that gets me into the kingdom? Or, or, or. Should I turn around and go look somewhere else? Which has kind of been the whole idea of this series, Happy Strife, Happy Life. It's actually in the the craziest scenarios of actually pain and sorrow where we finally, finally make the decision to walk away from where we've been and finally go where God has called us to be. In fact, fact, Dave Ramsey says it this way, uh, people only change when the pain of the same is greater than the pain of change. In other words, it's in those moments where you start going, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better solution. And so John the Baptist is going, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better solution. Hey, Jesus, are you the one? So what he's really asking about is about this, this word we've been learning a lot about called faith. Faith, okay? Faith is believing. By the way, when we're talking about faith, we're talking about not, uh, faith in Jesus. Faith is believing and obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise. Faith is believing and obeying, even in the middle of your doubt. So John the Baptist is going, I got a lot of doubts. Got a lot of doubts. Jesus, are you the one? And so we kind of have been learning, there's three different things about faith, right? First one is this. It always starts with Jesus, right? Always starts with Jesus. So important to get from here to there, to get out of the kingdom of earth, go into the kingdom of heaven. Faith is the way. Faith is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven, right? But uh, it doesn't start with you. You can't kind of like look down on your soul, you know, go and have this silent retreat and manufacture and conjure up faith. It doesn't begin with you. You've seen it over and over in the scriptures the last several weeks. It always, always is initiated by Jesus. Meaning you can't, you can't build it. You can't, you know, sit still long enough and find it. Faith, faith, faith is initiated 
in Jesus. In fact, I would just argue today is the day for some of them that Jesus is actually initiating this faith in you. Or finally your eyes are open. You're going, maybe, maybe this is the way. So it, it initiates with Jesus, right? So it starts with Jesus. That's the first thing about faith. The second thing is it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Your theology doesn't have to be perfect. Right in the scripture, they didn't even know the Bible at this point because there wasn't a New Testament. It's not about, it wasn't about certainty, right? And it wasn't about it wasn't about having all the scriptures understood. It wasn't even fully about understanding the relationship of the Trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Faith isn't about having it all figured out, right? In other words, we've been talking about this. Faith actually is obedience long before understanding. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, the folks that we've been looking at in the scriptures, they didn't have it perfect. Many of them didn't even understand that Jesus was God. They just thought he was a good prophet or a messenger. It doesn't have to be perfect. It initiates with Jesus. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the third one, really, really important, really, really important. We're going to look at this today. It has very little to do with your certainty of the, of the thing that you're putting your faith in and everything to do with the object that you put in. Here's kind of the, the, the analogy we keep using. Two hikers walking, and they fall off a cliff, right? And they don't know how to get back up, and they're about the, the, there's very little footing, and they're going to fall off, and both of them have to make a decision which route they go. And there's a couple big branches on either side. That one hiker is going, I'm 100% certain this is the branch to take. I'm 100% certain that is, if I grab that branch, I'll pull myself up and we'll be safe. The other guy is like, oh, I don't think it's that branch. But I'm only about 25% certain that it's this branch, right? Both of them take leaps and grab the branches. The one with 100% certainty grabs the branch and he immediately falls to his death. He was 100% certain and he's still dead. The other guy is just like 25% certain. I think this is it. And he reaches up and he grabs it. And it is sure. And he can pull himself up. Only 25% certain. But he lived. What's the difference? Not their amount of certainty. Not their confidence level. Not even their level of courage, right? Had everything to do with what they were placing their hope in. So faith has very little to do with your certainty. And your confidence. And everything to do with that you put. That what you put your hope in, right? And so John the Baptist is going, I don't have a lot of certainty. But will you just ask them? Are you the one? Or should I look somewhere else? So, we got to figure that out. Are you operating in faith as we land this thing today? Like, what does faith look like? Is, have, you, have you decided to enter the kingdom of heaven? Are you there? Do I know? What do I do? How do I, how do I know and assess whether or not I've, I've passed through the doorway? Right? Pretty important question. And I hope many of you are trying to figure that out. And so today, today, today we're going to look at how to know whether or not you're certain of your faith. And so I kind of was looking at the scriptures. We'll see it specifically today. There's kind of three characteristics of people who are operating in full faith in Jesus, right? You know, again, hear me. We're going to have, please don't cut off in the middle of the sermon or because it, it's going to take us all the way to the end to kind of wrap this thing up. But I want you to hear it again. It doesn't start with you. This isn't three self-help steps. If I do these things, everything works out. It doesn't start with you starts with Jesus. But here, here's the three characteristics we see of people who, who have walked through the doorway and have started to live in the here and now in the kingdom of heaven. First one is this. They passionately worship, right? They, they're passionate about worship, right? There's passionate worship in them, right? We'll talk about that. Second one is this. There's courageous living. They are courageous in what they do, right? Passionate worship, courageous living. And the third one, don't... Don't scream or, you know, feel uncomfortable. We're not talking about money in any way today. There, there's extravagant giving. There's a characteristic of extravagant giving and how they give of their resources to the kingdom, right? Passionate worship, courageous living, and extravagant 
giving. Now, last thing we'll say, and then we're open the scriptures. That's, we're going to come back to this. You can take a picture, write it down, really do a screenshot online. This is really, really important. You're going to see it today. But the, the thing that we learned from John the Baptist last week is that uh, he asked, are you the one or should I look somewhere else? Jesus then declares he's the greatest to ever live in the kingdom of earth. But he says he'll be the least in the kingdom of heaven because there's a new way of living that is for all of us. And then some people go, yes, I love that. John baptized me. I follow you, Jesus, like I follow John. And others were like, well, that's stupid. I have no interest in that. What about, uh, you know, where's my gold stars? I went to Sunday school. I've called all my contacts this week. Like, can't we at least make some of our assessment about how well we perform? Right? So some are like, man, I'm so broken. This makes sense to me. I can't fix me, but if you can, I'm going to lean all the way in. And others are like, I think I can just, I think I can fix myself. I don't know that I want to do all that crazy stuff. I don't want to live that way. That seems creepy and weird. And so uh, Jesus then tells a couple of stories. Don't go back and listen to them if you missed it last week. But basically, he, he describes two different types of people in the world, right? He describes people who, um, who fully lean in and people who are suspicious and critical, right? And uh, the two words we looked at last week, really important again for today, are these. There's two options of how you want to look at Jesus and also how you want to look at yourself right? The two options are either awareness or analysis. For example, what I told you last week, there's a scripture that goes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Two ways to look at that. Well, the scriptures say that this is the day that God's given us. He said it's a good day and we should rejoice in it. I'll do that because God is the one who determines and evaluates today. Or that's awareness or analysis is going, well, there's people that are hungry. There's pain and injustice in this world. There's no way I can rejoice and be glad today because God obviously is, can't handle things, right? Awareness. This is what he says. It's obedience over understanding or analysis of going, well, I don't understand that, so I'm not sure I'm ready to obey, right? Two different ways. You're going to see it again in these scriptures today as we land the plane finally on how do we live in the kingdom of heaven. We're in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. Here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. Okay, we're going to get started. So Jesus has been doing all these stuff. He literally has just told us about John the Baptist, about being the greatest in the, in the history of the kingdom of earth, but then said he'll be the least because we're all invited and get to live into the kingdom of heaven. Then he tells a couple of stories and divides the people up. Those who are wise because they operate with awareness are those who are fools because they operate with analysis. And immediately, some people, different people go, that's silly, I don't believe it, whatever. They're whispering about it. And one of the guys weakened kind of um, guest that would have been pretty suspicious was this Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was a really religious Jew. Now, he wasn't a professional Jew. That would have been the scribes who would have been the teachers of what they would have called the law, the, the Old Testament, the Torah. And then they would, each scribe would have um, kind of their little faction or followers filled with Pharisees who would follow the rules of their scribe, their, their leader. And so, when you, you get look at this, this person, this Pharisee, like in a, in a Jewish church, this would be like a head usher, a greeter, or small group leader, right? That, like very involved in the synagogue, very involved in helping people follow the rules. And so he sees Jesus and invites Jesus into his home. And it says they reclined at the table. A little bit different of how they ate than how we eat. The table would have been a lot lower to the floor. So think coffee table height. And they would have all kind of fit around this little bitty table in kind of a circle. So think like no COVID, right? I mean, they're all up in each other's 
faces and grills and all that kind of stuff. And they would have kind of laid their feet out and reclined. So kind of been like a fan shape with all the feet on the outside and all the faces on the inside. So they're kind of laying and eating and kind of relaxing. And so they all would have been there. Basically, they're sitting there and the feet are right around there and then they're sitting. And so he invites Jesus in to come recline at the table. So they're having a meal. Got it? Pharisee invites Jesus. Jesus is kind. He accepts the invitation and he is about to eat with them. And then something strange and awkward is about to happen. Watch what happens. And behold, I love that word in the scripture because it literally means, hey, pay attention to this, right? So Luke is going, you should watch this. One, because it's a crazy story. And two, because there's a lot you can learn from it. And behold, a woman of the city. In the scriptures, that's more than likely a reference to prostitution. So this is a prostitute. Now, we don't know her story. We don't know why she is. It really doesn't matter at all. We just know that this woman of the city who was a sinner, thanks, Luke. Hey, she is a sinner. Oh, good. I didn't wonder, you know. And so who was a sinner when she learned that he, uh, I'm sorry, that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, okay? So this lady, she hears that Jesus is there. And she shows up in this religious leader's house. Let me just be real clear. She was not welcome here. She shows up anyway because she hears that he's reclining at the table and she shows up with a flask filled with oil. Okay? Some expensive oil. That would have been used to put in your hair, make yourself look better, make yourself smell better. Flask of oil. Right? So she brings it with her. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet. Remember, they're all reclining at the table. She's weeping, and she began to wet his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This is gross, right? I mean, this is all sorts of weird. He's got dirty feet. They're all there. I mean, there's so much. We're not going to talk about all the context. I mean, it's meaningful, and we'll probably cover it on Tuesday. But the idea of her letting her hair down would have been not against the, the Bible, but against cultural rules and laws at the time. That that's only something you would do around your husband. So big, big no-no. So she has showed up. She has taken her hair down. All these religious people are watching and going, what in the world is she doing? Right? They're whispering about her. Maybe some of them know her from the street. I don't know all the answers. I just know that she is sobbing her hairs down, and she has decided to use her hair as a washcloth. Right? Awkward, weird, humiliating, even, even, and she is sobbing. So what are we seeing here? What are we seeing here? First, we're seeing someone who is passionate about Jesus. And this isn't sexual, just so you know. This is, that's not what this is. So this is someone who is passionate about Jesus, passionate about what he came to offer, right? So passionate, passionate. Now, the second thing we see here is really courageous. How many times have you walked in some stranger's home? Never, right? Not on purpose anyway. Oh, wrong house. Sorry, 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 right? I mean, like this is, this is crazy. In fact, it's even inappropriate. Would you, would you at least agree with that? This lady showing up, uninvited guest, pulling her hair down in the middle of all this, creating a really awkward scene where she's wiping Jesus' 
feet with her tears and oil. This is, this is inappropriate. So she is passionate and she's leaning in there and creating a pretty awkward scene. And so it's going to take a, a good bit of courage to walk in here and do that. And then the third one you definitely see is she's pouring out her oil, which would have been expensive and definitely not used for feet, on his feet. She, so in the kingdom of earth, looking in, first of all, this is inappropriate. Shouldn't be worshiping that way, right? This is inappropriate. Shouldn't be showing up at some stranger's house in that way. And this is inappropriate. Shouldn't be wasting her oil on this, right? So from an analysis perspective, she's got it all wrong. Got it all wrong, right? And so we know the whole story, but sitting there, imagine someone, some uninvited guest coming into your house, right? So from an analysis perspective, she's just missing a whole thing. So all right, while, we're, while we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this guy, the Pharisee, you probably should just pause and go, we're probably responding this way more than we're responding this way in the story, right? So here we are. Jesus is reclining. All of a sudden, this lady shows up and starts washing his feet with her hair using oil and tears and probably some snot. You got it? You know, this is, this is the ugly cry. The one where you go, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, with your lips quivering there? So there is all sorts of stuff coming down. So this isn't even like probably a pr- so broken and weird and awkward that the only way this would play out in a movie is if it was one of those movies that were just created strange, strange, weird, like, you know, skits of just real awkwardness that makes everybody go, oh, a little bit cringy, right? That's, that's what we have here. So we see it, all sorts of weird. Now, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, okay, what does that mean? He's not talking out loud. This is just in his head, right? He said to himself, so, so beautiful. If this man, he's talking about Jesus. So the Pharisee goes, if this man were a prophet, good analysis here. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. In his head, looking in, going, if he, if he knew, obviously he's clueless, not a very good prophet, what kind of woman th- this was. All sorts of judgment and condemnation. Remember, all in his head. So he's thinking if this is a good prophet, he would have some intuition and some foresight and be able to like peer into these things, right? He should be able to read who this woman is. No, this is so beautiful. Watch verse 40. And Jesus answered, uh, Answer, uh, answering said to him. You see what it says there? Jesus answering. This is so messed up, and this is why it always gets dangerous, and I love these moments in the scriptures where uh, someone's speaking to themselves. We see it when the paralytic friend was brought to, to, um, to Jesus in the, in, in the house and lowered him down, and they're going, what kind of guy is this? And then he, answer, he responds, so literally. He's one, this, this guy's wondering if he's a good prophet. <laughs> well, I guess he's a good prophet, right? So he goes, and answering said to him, Simon, that's the Pharisee. I have something to say to you. Simon answered, say it, teacher. I don't know if this is a, like I'm reading it kind of like, well, let's go ahead and say it. You know, like, go ahead. I don't know if that's the, the like kind of the tone. Can't see it in that, like in the text. Like that, the Greek doesn't imply that it's more like, like confrontational, but it certainly seems that way when you read it that, here. And, and a certain, so <laughs> he asked the question, 
uh, to Simon, hey, I got something to tell you. The, the Pharisee says, say it, teacher. And this is so beautiful. Jesus is now going to offer a parable. Now, remember, throughout the scriptures, he uses parables, which is so beautiful because this is how he teaches. And the, there's a reason that he teaches this way because most people, you and I are the same here, um, have a hard time with direct correction. Even if the person's right. Right? That direct correction, all of a sudden in that moment, you just shut them down. Right? Because how dare they do that? And so you don't even hear the correction because of, because of the modality or the way by which the correction was offered. So Jesus, being so gracious, tells stories to help the people listening to the stories. That's you and I right now. Identify ourselves in the story. So in most parables, there is someone who represents God or Jesus or both and someone who represents us. Now this is really neat because he's going to help us see two different types of people in this parable. Those like him, those like her. Or in other words, those who operate in analysis and those who operate with awareness. Got it? So watch this. So he's going to tell this parable. And as we read this parable, let's not just think about these two. Let's figure out where we fit into the story. Got it? This is what he says. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Got it? So 550 denarii, and denarius was like, um, denarii is the plural, uh, of one day's wages. So 50, what is that, two months probably? You're taking one day off, two months. So 500 is therefore 20 months of wages that these two people owe, right? One owes two months. To me, that seems pretty significant. One owes 20 months worth of wages. Very significant. Uh, So he says this, and he goes, uh, verse 42, when they could not pay... So they can't pay anymore. They can't pay the mortgage. They can't pay their debt, whatever that is. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now remember, in this story, there's someone who represents us, someone who represents these two, someone who represents Jesus. Jesus is the money lender. Got it? I want to just make sure. These two different people who owe debt, they're like us. Got it? So he, so he canceled their debt. And then he says this. Now, which of them will love him more? Pretty simple. Hey, two people owe debt. They both owe debt. They're both forgiven of that debt. Now, which one's going to love him more? Which one's going to be more extravagant in the way they respond to the money lender, right? Simon answered, the one, well, this, I suppose. You see this? Like, have you ever... Yeah, I had any of those conversations with your, with your kids where they're like, I guess. You know, it's like that. It's like, oh, poor guy. Like, he's, you're in, you invited Jesus in. You thought it was going to be cool. But you're like, the, the, you know, Jesus came and hung out with me. But this whole thing got wrecked by the prostitutes. And he's like, I guess. I suppose. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Right? I suppose. And he said to him, you have, I love this word, judged rightly. In other words, hey, look, we've already kind of established what you think your role in all this is. You're the, you're the judge. Good job, Simon. You did the judgment right this time. Got it? You judge rightly, verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, really, really important, you can circle this in your Bible. Do you see this woman 
You see, I, I mean, I could spend, you know, Charles Spurgeon actually preached five different sermons just on this one text, right? I mean, I wish we could, we can't. Clock's running, want to keep us focused here, all those things. But just this moment, do you see what he's asking her? Do you see her? To be honest with you, I believe, Holy Spirit inside of, of us, if we could just do this one thing, it would change everything about our church, our community, our world. See this? Do you see this woman? No, no, like, do you see her? She, like, not dehumanize her. Not see her as everybody else is as an object. Do you see her as a woman? Like, do you see her? Do you, do you see her? Not as a, not, not as a, not as an object. Not as someone who can do something for you, or someone who has done something to you. Whatever those things are. Do you see her? So he's literally going, hey, son, do you see her? Like, all this judgment, she's sitting right here. Do you see those tears? Like, can you imagine that pain? Hey, Simon, do, do you know what it's like to be sold by your dad? Do you, Simon? Do you know her story? Right? C.S. Lewis says this. He says, never judge someone by where they are because you don't know how far they've come. Right? Do you see her? So he asks, do you see this woman? I entered your house. Now he's all for some real good correction here. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which would have been appropriate. You're, you're thinking this is inappropriate. Let me tell you what else is inappropriate. Not to serve your guests, Simon. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. What would you have her do, Simon? My feet are filthy. In a normal world where, where people are engaged in good hospitality, the first thing that happened is something had been offered for feet to be washed. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which would have been a normal, appropriate greeting here. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, which would have been appropriate, Simon. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. So, what's he doing here? Hey, Simon, you've been spending a lot of time on this analysis track. So let's see. Simon, you're all here. You're all here in this. But let me, let me help you see what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. Like, let me give you some new goggles, a new lens look through. Simon, here's the awareness. Like, you are so busy judging her for what you believe she did was inappropriate and never stopped to pause and think about your own life. Simon, even if it's 50 denarii, do you understand what it's like to be forgiven? No, no, he doesn't, right? Because this is, this is really important. Because when we think about awareness and analysis, there's two different things. One, this isn't about awareness and just about awareness and analysis towards God, where God says that I should do it. Instead of being analytical about it, right? There's actually two different ways to look at ourselves as well. One is through awareness. What a wretched man I am. Or analysis. Well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I look at the people across the street or down the road and the people online. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not a white supremacist. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, just this comparison game where we just do the analysis thing where we, we you know, measure ourselves up to a, someone who kind of operates in a lower standard than us. And we say, oh, I'm good. I don't need anything. Right? And so he's going, hey, Simon, let me, let me help move you for maybe you can start having some awareness about yourself here, which is 
all that's really required of us to start living in the kingdom of heaven, right? It all starts with Jesus. He does all the work. What's required of us is some awareness that we need the work to God, right? And so he's trying really hard to offer some awareness. In verse 47, it says this, therefore, really important, as a result of this, as a result of these things, I tell you her sins. Look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Which are many, right? And they're many. Yeah, 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 they're many, right? Which are many are forgiven. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, see this? Loves little. This is so important. The way by which our love grows towards Jesus. See it right here. See the two different people? The ones who love little and the ones who love much? You see what the difference is? The one who has the awareness of how much they've been forgiven. See this. The, the whole work for us, only thing, Jesus invites us into the kingdom of heaven. He offers us faith. It starts with him, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't be perfect. And it's more about the certainty of the one you're placing your hope in. The only part of it us is going, I have now come to the conclusion that I want to be there and I know I can't get there on my own. I've come to the conclusion that I do not deserve to be there. I do not deserve to have anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. And yet, 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 for some reason, he has knocked on the door and invited the kingdom of heaven to me. Right? And so the only part of this is he goes, look, look, she loves, she loves. Why? Why does she love? Because she's forgiven. So, good question for us to figure out. Do you really, really love God? Do you really love Jesus? Passionately want to sing about him and to him and tell others about him. Because if you don't, there's a really good reason why. And this isn't like... I'm not trying to condemn you. It's good because we can just have some awareness of it. I promise you, I promise you, your, your ability to love God has everything to do with your awareness of how much you have been forgiven. Your debt to God is infinitely more than our national debt as a country. Infinitely more. So when we think about this, the way if we don't love God, it has everything to do, right? For but he who has forgiven little, loves little. You see, Simon, you don't love. You didn't wash my feet. Because you have no awareness of how broken you are. You've not come to the conclusion that you actually need forgiveness. So this is so, so, so important. You don't do any of the work, right? You don't do any of the work. God does all the work. All the work. We just have some awareness. So here's the awareness I want you to see. You see this? Therefore I tell you, her sins are many, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Okay, really important. They say, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves. So they're whispering out loud now. Who is this? who even forgive sins. They, oh, they knew. They knew that the only person, the only being that for, could forgive sins was God. And they're going, who is this that forgives sins? Who can forgive sins? So, so important. And to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it all starts with Jesus. It is all about Jesus. In other words, it's this. Got to see this. It is all Christ alone. Christ alone. 
Simon, in his analysis, has lost sight of this. The woman of the night, in her awareness, has bought into this. And Christ alone, Christ alone is the way we get it. Well, how do we get there? Christ alone. Christ alone gets us into the kingdom of heaven. Well, how do we do this? See what it says? He forgave her of her sins. You know what that's called? That's called grace. Christ alone. By grace alone. Now tell me, tell me what part the prostitute plays in this so far. What part? Nothing other than awareness. She doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Christ alone. She can't forgive herself. She can't perform well enough. It's through grace alone. You got it? Christ alone. Grace alone. Then those who were at the table began to wonder. Verse 15, it said this. And he said to the woman, so, so beautiful, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In other words, which is so, so amazing. How do you get from here to there? It's Christ alone. How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? What does it look like? It's through forgiveness, which is grace alone. So Christ alone, grace alone. Now what does he say? Saved her. Faith. Faith alone. This isn't your performance. Hey, Simon, this has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. I'm the giver of these things. I'm the initiator of these things. It's through me alone. Right? And that is a real awareness you've got to get. You cannot perform yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You can't earn it. That's why we call it a gift. Because if you think you can pay for it, it's no longer a gift and you can't access it. It's through grace alone. So what's your part? Faith alone. Jesus initiates it. And then it's not our certain, the percentage of our certainty. It's that we're putting our hope in Christ. And this, see what it says? Go in peace. This means wholeness. So in some ways, he's telling her not to go back to her old life. You're not a shell of a human. You're not a person who lives one way during the day and another way at night. Go in wholeness. So good. Even the word integrity, that is, literally is just the same root word that we get for integer, which just means a whole number. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Like for the, you see this? Like She gets in a walk as someone who can take deep breaths and sleep and not have anxiety, not have worry. Why? Because she has been forgiven. She has been invited in to the kingdom of heaven. And this is what he's saying to her. You will be whole. I love this. Love this. Love this. It's Christ alone. Grace alone. Through faith alone. So that you'll never be alone. This is what's so important that you get about the kingdom of heaven, and this is why we gotta understand that love comes from our awareness of our forgiveness. Guys, the kingdom of heaven is all about Jesus. It's not about seeing your great grandmother again. You might, but that's not the purpose of heaven. The purpose of living in the kingdom of God is to experience God, and you have to love Him. And so, you, if that's not happening, I promise you, you can see it. That's not happening in your life. It has everything to do with your lack of awareness of what God has done for you. Now, you don't, have to, you don't have to sulk in that. Many of us have a hard time going in and peering into how much debt we've actually incurred, right? Some of you some of you've lived this life where you get the credit card statements and you can't even open them up. You know what I'm talking about? Can't even open them up. 
they go straight from your mailbox straight into your recycling bin because you're good and you, you recycle, right? Because you can't open them up. You cannot stare it down. Why? Because when you stare it down, all of a sudden there's this reality that you've got to do something about the debt. So we view all debt in that way. You cannot view the debt before God in that way. You can open it up and you can acknowledge it and you can go, wow, I've incurred a lot of debt. Then you can hand the bill over to Jesus and go, I'm so, so sorry. Would you forgive me? And his words are absolutely enter into my kingdom. So we have to stare at the brokenness of who we are, come to some conclusions about what we deserve, and then repent and ask God to forgive us. And as he does, as we walk in, as we lean in, go, God has forgiven me. That is faith in him. What's now offered to you is to go in peace through Christ alone, by grace alone, faith alone. So that you will, from now into all eternity, forever, never, ever, be alone. Now watch what happens. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. So I'm just going to keep going. And this is what, what it says here. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. So he makes a statement, tells her to walk in peace, and he's going again. The movement is happening. It has been initiated. And so he continues to move, and there are these people that are passionate. They have been forgiven much. They love him, and they're following him. And now we're going to start seeing some new characters show up. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone. Now this is a brand new movement. At this point, rabbis only invited dudes to the table. You got it? So now all of a sudden, they see this woman who can passionately worship Jesus and find healing. And they're going, this is a guy who sees us. Not as some object. Not as someone that he can get something from sexually, right? He sees us as a human, and all these women are starting to follow him. This is beautiful. This is why it gets so confusing when you hear that the church is so anti-women. Jesus is literally, he gives Mary the opportunity to be the first preacher in the history of the world of the good news. She's the first one to go and share the news of the resurrection. So these women start following him because he sees them, and he's seeing them. And seven, you see the seven demons out. Now watch this, verse 3. And Joanna, uh, um, yeah, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So, so important. So he starts this movement. Starts with 12 disciples. Got a crowd. They're understanding how much they've been forgiven. They understand what it's like to live in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus, with their faith in Jesus. And so they're going from town to town, doing some amazing things, and there's all these followers. And Luke thinks it's important through the Holy Spirit to tell us who these followers are. And what I love about this is you've got a couple more women show up. But verse 3 is so neat. It says, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Really, really important. I told you about Herod last week. Herod hated John the Baptist, the one who cut off John the Baptist's head. Hated him. Hated this movement. His dad was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Hated this movement. And Herod had lots of power and authority, and he had people who worked for them. But one of the most important people who worked for him would have been the household manager, would have been like the, the general manager or CEO of the, the Herod the Tetrarch Enterprises. Right? So it says here, in the middle of this, hey, uh, Chusa's wife, Joanna, she's seen 
and forgiven, and she gets this, so she leans fully in. So this is so beautiful. Get this. And it says that they provided for them out of their own means. This is so funny. Tetrarch is paying Chusa, and Chusa's sharing his money, and his wife is going, we're going to invest it in the kingdom. So Herod doesn't even know it, but he is literally funding the mission. Why? Because some women discovered that Jesus loved them and saw them and forgave them. And they responded with deep and passionate love. So what does that do? It leads to a courageous life. She is risking her life and her family's life and her husband's life. But when you've been forgiven much, it changes that love in you. And you know this. You know what love can motivate. Think about what you would do for your children. Right? You know that love is a deep motivator. So you see this. They are passionate. Why? Because they understand how much they were forgiven and they were seen and then they courageously lived and what they do they took what they had and they offered it to the kingdom why christ alone it was grace alone what am i going to do with all this don't use it to earn anything it's not where i'm going to find my pleasure and joy because that's in christ alone it's through grace alone right so my object my opportunity is to walk in faith alone which means this is what my life is going to look like and here's the beauty of it. We will never be alone. So what do you do with this? What do we do with this? The inclination is probably, as you look at these three things, go, oh, I got to fix this. I want you to hear me. And the band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song to kind of help realign us. You cannot fix this. This is the complication of it. I want to give you three steps to go. If you do these three things, this is what your life would look like. But it will not happen. Because it's Christ alone. It's grace alone. So what do we do? If you are not passionate about Jesus and your love is not deep for him, then we gotta, gotta go back to the start of that. You gotta go back to God, would you make me aware? Would we sit still and, and have the courage to look at our life, to, 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 to do, do a fearless, they say in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, fearless moral inventory, right? So would you look into it and ask God to reveal how much he loves you and how much he has forgiven you because it's got to start there. So it has to start. It has to start with awareness. That's your part in this. Jesus initiates it. So what do you do? You go back. You tell God you believe you're out of alignment and you ask him to realign you. And so what we're going to do here, the band's going to lead us. It's going to start with a really beautiful song. You might know it. And it goes, uh, we're going back to the heart of worship where it's all about you, God. It's all about you. It is Christ alone, your grace alone, my faith alone that allows us to live this new freedom together. And so would you join me as we sing this song together? When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to breathe Something that's of worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you Is not what you have required. 
care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. And so my prayer for all of us is may you listen for his voice this week. May you sit at his feet this week. And um, you worship our Lord with all you have this week and always.